There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. The will to act might be a renewable resource, but are the rainforests? My name's Mark, and I'm recording this on the 13th of September. And I'm trying to find out if the fires in the Amazon are still burning. And I've just found one piece from SBS News. And it's in the news because the fires have spread outside of the Amazon. And the fires are getting closer to some Brazilian cities in the south of the country. The headline says there's increasing concern as blazes spread outside the Amazon. But what about the Amazon itself? I honestly can't find any articles from the last week about the extent of the damage. The fires that are still burning. Like it always does, the news cycle has moved on. The fact that huge parts of the Amazon were intentionally set on fire and equally intentionally not put out is beginning to fade in our memory. That's why two weeks ago we put out the call for messages from the community on how the fires have affected us as people, as members of this community, in the hopes that we can share in solidarity that we can commiserate, but so that we can also learn the best ways to move forward, to take action, be proactive, and stay healthy. Yesterday, here in Australia, the 12th of September, it was RUOK Day, a nationwide mental health awareness day, and I hope you are all doing okay, despite seeing news that is anything but. But in this small way, I'm hoping to make a contribution to the mental health of the climate community by providing this space to share openly about how we truly feel in the face of overwhelming events. So to get us started here, fellow podcaster Anthony James has sent in a beautiful message. Thanks for this, Mark. It's a great idea. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony from the Regeneration Podcast. When I hear about the Amazon fires... I feel an echo of every other fire blazing. The African savannah, Queensland. Along with the fires we're suffering within. Children with anxiety and depression. At times, I feel a surge of the finality of death, as if my wife or son were leaving me, or me leaving them. It's a toxic taste. But of course, death's not final, and ultimately, we never leave each other. I can't remember who said it, but someone said I'm most at peace among the trees, so when I die, I get to go where I'm most at peace. Even in death, there is life, and mostly, I'm feeling alive, for so much of what I see and share is restoring life, and incredibly so in many ways. Just yesterday, I was hosting proceedings at a trailblazing regenerative agriculture conference in WA, Hundreds more people, all on the case for restoring life. So what do I feel with the Amazon fires? I feel death as more of a general presence. 
but I don't attach myself to it, at least not for too long. I feel like living. It's Joe Dodds here um, from the Bega Valley. Uh, it's been hard to avoid the news of the Amazon being on fire lately because it's been all over the television. Um, but I became aware a little bit earlier from a bit of a Twitter storm that was going on trying to raise awareness about what was going on there. And I have to say, I kind of was interesting. I, I, I had great trouble believing that it was actually happening, and I still do, even though I've seen the footage, because it's too big for my tiny human mind. Too big in area. I've seen an image of um, Austria transposed against the um, the regions which are on fire, and it was sent by a friend who lives in Vienna, and, and she just was filled with horror as well because of the enormity and enormousness of what's happening there. But it's also too big for me to, to kind of wrap my head around because of the what it means, the consequences of this. And it wasn't something that I expected to have to wrap my head around, even though I spent a lot of time thinking about climate change and the implications and the risks of fires and things. This wasn't on my radar. Um, but I think the thing that really strikes me the deepest is it's the wild places on earth, the natural places on earth, the places that are uninhabited or still inhabited by people who've who've lived in those places for millennia and, and respect and care for them and are part of the cycles of, of life and sustainability there. Those wild places are deeply important to me on some deep psychological level. It's, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around. Um, I think it's the notion that there is still somewhere that humans have no negative impact. There's still somewhere that you could flee to when things go wrong in the human world. There's somewhere where the life of animals and plants and insects and birds and goes on without our interference or even witnessing what's happening. And to me, there's something precious about that. And yes, it, it, it's this place of deep retreat in my mind of a, a, a mossy dark, damp corner somewhere where the beetles are crawling and the leaves are falling quietly from the tallest trees. The thought that those places still exist gives me hope and peace. And to see them threatened to the extent that those fires in the Amazon are doing is beyond my comprehension. And I think I'm keeping it that way because if I thought too deeply about it, I would be too filled with grief to continue acting and or taking action the way I am about climate change. So there's a, there's a kind of a sense of I'm just letting a little bit of denial sit there with me to kind of protect me from the pain, I guess, so I can keep fighting. But uh, that disturbs me too because I... I really value looking at the truth deeply and I think this is a situation that we do need to 
to look at deeply and consider what it means for us as humans and as animals, because we are also animals. I'm not sure what lies on the other side of that when we when we look and admit what's happening and, and why. I don't know what lies beyond that, but I think it has to be it has to be seen and acknowledged. So I'll be putting in a bit of work on that. Probably writing about it. That's one of the ways that I uh, process things like this. So I'll see what comes out of that process for me. And in the meantime, I just hope to the heavens that it rains and rains and rains over the Amazon because that's the only way I think those fires are going to go out. And uh, I just hope there's enough forest left enough wild places left to to keep the biodiversity going and for it to be able to repair itself so uh yeah i'm i'm deeply concerned about what's happening but battling my own disbelief (laughs) all right thanks guys and uh, that's goodbye from joe and bega In case you'd like a refresher on the facts of what's happening in the Amazon Basin, here's a clip from Channel 4 News in the UK. Before we get back into the responses from the community. Sections of the Amazon burn every year, but this time it's different. Different in two ways. First of all, the extent of the fires this time round compared to last year. But second, the international reaction. Images of the Amazon burning, combined with a climate movement that feels like it's reaching critical mass, has resulted in an unprecedented reaction from political leaders across the world today. The spike in the number of fires in Brazil is most likely down to an increase in deforestation back in May and June. More trees cut down, left to dry and set alight. The dramatic pictures of the Amazon on fire have created more than just a reaction from activists. This has become deeply political. Both Angela Merkel and President Macron say they're going to address this at the G7 meeting. And other leaders are talking in terms of using trade deals as a way of forcing Brazil to get its act together in terms of controlling the fires. Five shadow ministers sent a letter to the Prime Minister saying that this government needs to be honest about how our country is complicit in this catastrophe. They're also calling on the government to introduce measures to make sure that UK companies aren't involved with activities that damage the rainforest. And Jeremy Corbyn has talked about a climate emergency. We've written to President Bolsonaro to say, look, you cannot go on destroying the Amazon rainforest. It is a global resource for all of us. And the fires there are rampaging. Species will be made extinct that we haven't even discovered. 
Something else worth considering here, we're hearing a lot of noise now from both political leaders of both major parties about protecting the environment, about protecting animals. And that's because as much as this is an environmental issue, it's also an electoral issue. We know that there social media, the viral videos of the fires, there's a lot of anger out there. In 2017, Theresa May and the Tories were hit hard by the fact that they had talked about fox hunting potentially coming back. So the Conservatives are conscious of this. Whether or not political leaders buy into the moral case, they certainly understand that there is a political case here. Don't domestic politics sound so inane and trivial while the Amazon is on fire? I think so. Science communicator Hank Green agrees. And here's a clip from one of his recent YouTube videos about the Amazon fires. So I've seen a bunch of tweets for the last few days that made me pretty angry, which, you know, makes it exactly like every other few days in the last few years. But in this specific case, it was tweets like these. The Amazon rainforest is seeing a record number of wildfires. Large swaths of the Amazon rainforest are burning. Fires are raging. The Amazon region is burning. Now, mostly this comes down to like a problem I have with reality, which is that there's just too much of it. And thus it is very hard to be aware of all of it. And so we end up with things that are incomplete making their way into our brains. But if there's anything we should be aware of, it's this, cause you know, future of the planet at stake and stuff like that. So why do I not like these tweets? Well, because here in America, uh, where I live, usually if there's a wildfire, it was an accident. And sometimes fires are okay because fires are a normal part of our ecosystems in America. And sometimes they were done on purpose by like criminals who the government wants to arrest. And so when you read these headlines as an American, you think, oh no, a fire happened. I hope someone's trying to put it out. But in the Amazon, fire is not a natural part of the ecosystem. And because of that, many trees in the rainforest can't survive what we would in the US consider a trivial burn. These fires are not natural. They are intentional. This isn't intentional like it's arson. It's intentional like this land is more economically productive when we graze cattle on it than when it's the rainforest. So the headline here shouldn't be large swaths of the Amazon are burning. It should be large swaths of the Amazon are being burned. Now, sometimes in the dry season, which we're in right now, there are natural wildfires in the Amazon. And in fact, the number of natural wildfires appears to be increasing. Rainforests don't just thrive on rain they make rain. So when there's less rainforest, there's less rain and more fires. But that's not the real reason there's so many more fires this year. It's not hotter than normal. It's not drier than normal. The thing that changed in Brazil is who the president is. The moment he was elected, Jair Bolsonaro rolled back environmental protections in Brazil. Earlier this month, he fired the head of Brazil's National Space and Research Institute after he defended data showing that deforestation had grown 40% in the last year. Bolsonaro says that figure is wrong and that deforestation is down. That's a lie. When asked why there are so many fires this year, Bolsonaro said that maybe environmental organizations are setting them to make him look bad. That is also a lie. But this isn't just like pure malice and like love of destruction. There's an ideology here. There's the economic part of it, which is just that there's a lot of value in the rainforest and no one's making any money off of it if it's just being rainforest. And then there's sort of an ideological thing of like the civilizing interest of man. We must bring our superior way of life to this wild jungle, racist, manifest destiny kind of stuff. So to make the money, you encourage legal logging and farming, you reduce inspections, reduce regulations, and you ignore illegal land grabs where forest is slashed and burned and then seeded with grass and sold to ranchers. There's also another piece of the ideology here that I think is really interesting. The reality is that most of the good that the Amazon does 
is for everyone. It produces oxygen for everyone. It traps CO2 for everyone. It preserves biodiversity for the whole world. But Brazil isn't getting paid for any of that stuff. Far-right perspectives, ultra-nationalist perspectives, don't really allow for stuff that helps everyone. It goes against this ideology that the nation is for the nation only. And here's where this gets super wild. The fact that the rest of the world cares so much about the Amazon rainforest isn't perceived as a reason to protect it, it's perceived by these people as a threat. It's like a claim on their sovereignty. It's it's thought of as internationalization. After all, like legitimately, what right do I as an American have to tell Brazil what to do with its rainforests? In America, we have deforested everything we can. So our interest in protecting it actually becomes a reason for some people to want to destroy it. If you live in a world where everything is a zero-sum game, why should anyone else benefit from our property? And then there's the reality that the Amazon is not, as we sometimes imagine it, empty. There are many indigenous people, other people who live and work in the forest and who rely on the forest for their livelihoods. But those people are often not seen as real Brazilians by these nationalists. Um, nationalism is an inherently exclusionary ideology, and that's why fascism, nationalism, and racism so often walk together. But here's the thing. Um, of course, if the if the Amazon rainforest was 100% pasture land and soybeans, that would not just be a disaster for the whole world. It would be even more of a disaster for Brazil. Hank goes on to explain how the continent of South America is shaped by the Amazon rainforest and how Brazil especially is sheltered from the intense solar load it receives every year by that very jungle that they're slashing and cutting and burning for the sake of economic benefit. Those two clips really zoomed out and gave us a macro view of the situation, an understanding of the problem. But let's get back to how we in Australia, far, far away, can do something about it. Or how at least we can begin to feel better, more prepared, and ready to answer this challenge that the burning Amazon is such a clear herald of. Here's a message from Rob Marsh, a listener of Climactic who answered the call and sent in a beautiful story about how the Amazon fires have affected him. In my way of seeing and relating to the world, the jungle isn't separate from us. She isn't out there somewhere else. We're standing in her right now, breathing her air as you listen to these words. We are because she is. And now she's in danger from none else than her own children. It's only right to call her our mother. From the jungle we were born, and with her support, we grew. And when I heard that there were men lighting fires in our mother's body, so they could cut her trees under the cover of smoke to turn a profit. I wept. Even now, this very moment, greed is consuming her ancient groves. Her rivers are blackening with soot and poison, and her people are running under the whistle of bullets to escape what we, in our hubris, refer to as progress. I don't think we know what it is that we're losing. We might think that it's only our ability to breathe that's dying with the jungle. 
But there are aspects of being human that exist only due to the presence of wild, untouched, unseen places. We know from modern science just how deeply interconnected the web of life is, how far-reaching the implications from disturbing so much as a single thread. The balance of civilizations might just rest on the petals of a single orchid. And so with this in mind, each and every day, I wake and I speak my intent to the listening sky. I vow to live more simply, to consume less violently, and to orient my every act toward the healing of the living world and all its inhabitants. I vow to identify and to dismantle human systems of oppression and harm. And I vow to practice daily to keep my heart wide open, my mind alert and focused, and my body strong and capable of doing the work of looking after our mother. So don't be afraid. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Listen. If you listen very closely, you can hear her. She's whispering on the wind. The time for action is now. Brazil's interim ambassador to the United States, Nestor Forster, says that the Brazilian government and its president are working to control the more than 26,000 fires currently burning in the Brazilian Amazon rainforest. He has deployed 43,000 troops from the Brazilian army to uh, play a logistical role in soup. Let me just make it clear to you that uh, you know this is a crisis. We're doing the best we can to, to fight the fires. International observers have counted an unprecedented number of fires in the region. We have an element, you know, a climate element there of, uh, you know, dryness of the weather, uh, higher temperatures. We also have a small uh, farm, a small agricultures who use this as a technique. They burn, you know, whatever vegetation is there to prepare the land to be planted. The interim Brazilian diplomat says the government is working to protect the Amazon but also has an obligation to provide economic development and opportunities for the more than 25 million people that lives in the Amazon region. But that doesn't help indigenous people like the Manoki tribe, who say the government is in effect setting the fires. Manuel Cabucci, a cacique in the deep Amazon, says the fires are threatening their way of life. Guio Branco. The whites, the human beings, will end this. They will destroy our lives, our planet, where we live. The government is not worried about this. The government wants to kill us. They do not want to know about the environment. They do not want to understand what is a dignified life. They just don't want to. Amazon fires are also impacting neighboring countries such as Bolivia, where at least 10,000 square kilometers are on fire. Brazilian President Bolsonaro says he will attend a meeting of seven of the eight countries in the Amazon region mid next week to discuss creating a common policy to confront the fires. Cristina Caicedo Smith, VOA News, Washington. I was born in 1990. And growing up through the 90s, I vividly remember at some point seeing a television show where a ragtag group of people had taken over a U.S. Navy submarine and were living on it. 
because above the waves, there wasn't enough oxygen anymore. Because the Amazon was gone. And now I can't help but feel that I want to be angry. As soon as I think about the fires and the Amazon, the Bolsonaro government, the international response to these fires, I do get angry. But the anger isn't always there. When I don't think about it, when it's not actively in my mind, picturing the Amazon on fire, I feel numb. I feel like it can't be true. I feel like surely the devastation isn't that big. Surely that Belgium isn't that big a country because I'd read that Belgium was about the same size as what's been lost of the Amazon. And what I'm really left with at the end of the day is this feeling of the world is ending, but slowly and quietly and we're all too numb to notice. But when I do re-engage, when I overcome that numbness in myself and I connect back to that anger, it feels better. To know that the Amazon is not on fire, the Amazon is not burning, the Amazon is being burned, that, that is the crutch I'm leaning on at the moment. I'm grabbing at that really easily accessible emotion of anger, and yeah, it's not a long-term solution. And I definitely don't want to start acting based on that emotion. But I'm not going to check out. I'm not going to go numb. I'm going to be really angry at Jair Bolsonaro and everyone else responsible for these fires. And I mean, look, anger can be a very useful emotion when it's put into good use. It can spring people into constructive action um, as long as it's not directed to people towards yeah. people and it's not kind of left to like the wildfires you know <laughs> yeah I'm wild yeah that was the voice of artemis friend of the show and future guest artemis is the co-founder of melbourne's south bank sustainability group a group that's banding together the highly urbanized residents of the south bank of melbourne city it's extremely hopeful and positive what artemis is doing with that group So the news of the Amazon fires hit her especially hard. It is kind of funny we do equate uh, feelings of anger with this kind of burning inside, but anger, if acted on, doesn't doesn't build anything, does it? It only only tears down. And Mm. just what we're seeing right now, it's not just the, the loss of something that is that can come back. We're seeing potentially the loss of that form, like that that could be it. Let's get into it a little bit. It's heartbreaking and, and heart-wrenching. And uh, we all felt, I think, that, that anger and that numbness and that denial and, and that what's the point. And to me, out of all those emotions, anger is probably the one to pick up and then evolve. I find that anger can be very potent to direct you into action. That's where you got to be careful, though, of what, what is the action that you take. Because anger, really, it's when you feel helpless and and frustrated with how things are going, which I'm sure everybody has been feeling with the Amazon fires. As you said, you know, it's it's a form that once it's gone, we can't get that back. We can't get that ecosystem back. It's it's gone forever. Mm. 
it affects all of us. Um, and yeah, you know, we have, you know, countries are in charge of what they do in their own space, but we're a global community now. And this is an issue that affects and it concerns everyone. Mm. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a matter of figuring out how to get out of that space of, of anger and, and rage and figuring out, okay, how to put this into use? What, mm. do, what do I do with this? And I think it's key to be careful not to direct it towards people or groups of people, because mm -hmm. that's the easy thing to say, he did this, or that group of people didn't do that, or that corporation instigated all of that. And yeah, you know, they might have, but it's not going to bring it back and it's not going to bring solutions. By finger pointing and playing the blame game, mm -hmm. it's, it's just delaying action. Yeah, you want to hold people accountable and you want to learn from what happened, but then It's about figuring out what do we do with what we have right now. I know you felt it very strongly. You had to take some time out and get away from things. Like you just said before, you, you've taken that emotion and you've evolved it. And I like that a lot. And you've gone away and, and done some research and put together this great list of actions that we can take, which is what we need right now. We need to enable ourselves to feel like we can do something. That's, that's where the anger kind of, it, it's a short-term bandage on otherwise feeling numb and hopeless and and despairing um so i'd love to run through some of these solutions that you or these actions because i mean let's let's be honest there's only so much we can do from australia well we can't solve a problem in the amazon from here yeah that's why i felt i needed to take a few days because i was getting consumed by that anger and that despair and um the logical part of my mind was telling me you know better than that don't let it take over and figure out what's the most effective thing that you can do out of this yeah. and look it's it's just <laughs> it is it's such a terrible time <laughs> that we're going through with what's going on so we need to be picking each other up yeah and that can only start when you start talking about it, when you let people know that you're feeling this way, you acknowledge it yourself. First and foremost, you have to acknowledge it yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it's not about, you know, pushing those emotions away and pretending that they're not there. You're absolutely right. You got to acknowledge them. You got to experience them so that you can let them go. You can let them pass. The thing that you don't want to do is hold on to them and just stay there. It's figuring out how do you move from there and what do you do next? That's key, I think. Do you have any kind of pointers on how you did that yourself? How you kind of were able to acknowledge your feelings? Yeah, so, um, so I'm very conscious that any kind of energy and any kind of emotion, you send it out there and it, it's got a wavelength, right? It's got some sort of consequences. Um, I meditate quite a bit, which helps me balance myself. So in this case, I couldn't even meditate. I was just so angry and, and just burst into tears about the un injustice of it all. So I would kind of create, I would picture like a dome forming around me where it was a safe space where I could let anything out. I could express anything. So I could, instead of pushing those emotions down, I would let them come up and be fully expressed so then they can move on. Um, and, and by visualizing that dome, it allowed me to not worry about, you know, creating consequences or for those emotions to take me over. Because whether you like it or not, then you become the observant of, your, of those emotions. So creating that dome, that kind of sphere inside yourself, that's a safe place to let you feel what you're feeling. What yeah. does that look like in, in practice? Like, I, I struggle to think of like a literal, a place 
in my life I can go. Like, uh, my, my house has just, I wouldn't feel safe to actually feel the grief that I'm feeling and the, and the anger there. Like, I've, my cat would be yelling at me the whole time. Um, and, I, like, it's also hard. Like, I don't want to feel that strongly in a place that I otherwise want to feel at peace and calm in and relax in. It's a weird kind of logistics question, but, like, but fundamentally, how... How? <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah. And I get that where you don't want to bring those emotions in, in your safe haven, your home. Um, and for me, that's where that, that dome visualization works because it, it captures those emotions and doesn't let them spill over outside in the rest of your space. So from a logistics point of view, yeah, I, you know, I would do that from... Paper bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, like even, even just lying in bed, there were days that I just didn't feel like getting out of bed and I'm like like, okay, I need to purge some emotions here because it's, it's going to take over. Mm. So I would visualize a, a dome around me where I, I, I see nothing escaping outside. And you can even, if you want, you can see anything that comes out of you um, being turned into positive emotions uh, mm. for your space. If you're into vis- visualization or, or, yeah, you know, if you yell into a pillow, sometimes that works too, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if at work, there's a conference room that you can book for a few minutes when everybody's on lunch break and um, just, um, you know, set a deal with yourself that for the next 10 minutes, I'll just let some things come out and then I'll carry on. Then that's what you got to do. I hope that people are able to, to act on that because instead of being conscious of what those emotions are doing inside of us, we're instead worried about how to politely, in society, let them out. Mm. I, I, I'm literally more scared about finding a place to cry and rage and and just tremble with terror. Um, I'm more worried about, yeah, finding a place to do that than, like, oh, wow, that's inside of me all the time. Even if I'm not thinking about it, like, there's that energy inside me just ready to come out yeah that's a great point um and look they're not going anywhere if we keep them inside we we know they're going to fester in different ways and uh you know that's when you start getting you know a a knee pain or um you know a, a stress knot on your shoulder and things like that so we know it's not healthy to keep it in but yeah it is terrifying letting them out and what people are more afraid of is that they're going to lose control if they let those emotions out. That's why it's important to create a safe space where you allow yourself to express those emotions. And um, by being that that observant of those emotions, Mm -hmm. that's what keeps them from not taking over. And they're not pleasant emotions. Nobody wants to, you know, voluntarily feel them. But, you know, guess what? You know, expressing them and letting them out, even in an, in an intense way, then you have a lot of that left in your reserve. So there is a lot of la- that that you feel ongoingly, you know, underneath the surface trying to boil out. And then, you know, if somebody cuts you off, you don't lash out on them and let that anger out on that poor unsuspecting person. <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically, <laughs> of course, always. <laughs> you made this beautiful post and we've just started this like a bit of a, a closed Facebook group for the people involved in making the show. Apologies, listeners. <laughs> Shouldn't tell you about something you can't be a part of. But, but Artemis, you made this absolutely beautiful post. And we've talked about some of it here already but one point especially you said that 
You're sure many people like yourself felt a lot of debilitating despair because of the Amazon fires. And you said making them feel like what's the point of even trying or looking to direct their anger by blaming and vilifying specific people or groups of people. Division and more hateful energy is not going to bring about change. It's just going to stall much needed meaningful action. So I really like how you are turning towards action at this point that it's we've had a couple weeks now of oh my god and now we do need we're, we're ready for the next step we need positive action you said i genuinely believe that this event is the single greatest opportunity we will ever get for people to unite and move into action along with taking accountability of each of our choices contributions to it and it should be used to unite people globally to move the dial on this important issue from which the whole world is affected by, we are all part of an interrelated ecosystem after all. It's probably going to be the last opportunity we get to make significant change before we are past the tipping point, which is now much closer than predicted with the tons of CO2 released from the fires already. Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, how does that sort of sit with you a couple days after, after writing? Yeah, I mean, um, just just hearing you reading it, I, I'm I'm feeling that you know those emotions. I, I firmly believe that this is the last opportunity. I believe that we're going to get to move in such a mass scale globally, and take this issue seriously, and make sure that our decision makers and our representatives are taking this seriously and are moving resources into these important issues. This has been a really good chance to talk about something we don't talk about very often and, and that we haven't done a great job here on the show yet of talking about emotions and talking about how we are dealing with this stuff. And when something big like the Amazon fires happens, we need to set aside time to talk about it and grapple with it and, and face it. But I agree that now's the time for, for action and to, to use this energy productively. Mm. So what's something coming up that you're looking forward to that, that you were, you're looking forward to pouring that energy into? I would say probably the most immediate thing happening is the climate strike that's happening on September 20th, where everybody in the world are called to go out in the streets, walk out of their work for a couple of hours to show in numbers how many people are, are deeply concerned and affected by what is happening and then get you know individual governments and then global governments to listen and to pay attention and take action. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, the next step is voicing those issues to our local government representatives. So I'm planning to write emails and, and any opportunity that I have where there's question time, for example, in council or um, yeah, emailing um, our MPs offices, asking them what kind of resources are they going to put into climate action and what are they going to do? Because we have had this unpredictable, massive tons of CO2 releasing in the atmosphere. So we need to move faster um, and also see what do we do with um, our local forests and deforestations. Um, and I'm, I'm in no way trying to speak uh, on behalf of the Jaburung, but what is happening uh, with the Western highway
highway where there's plans to cut, cut down 3,000 trees, some of them 800 years old, that are sacred and of cu cultural significance. Uh, meanwhile, there is an alternative option for that highway that's apparently going to save up to $65 million for taxpayers as well. So looking at the alternatives and, and you know, putting that spotlight and that pressure to government to review decisions and not just stick by them because that's what they started off with and now they might feel a bit embarrassed to to back down. Um, so yeah, getting involved and figuring out how to help the Jaburung, I would say it's another action that people in Melbourne especially can take and even from other cities. There was one more thing I wanted to say about our personal responsibility as well. So I think another thing that we tend to do with something with big scale events happening we forget to kind of look at how do, how do we contribute either consciously or unconsciously because that's a hard one to look at. What are my day-to-day -day actions bringing to the table? So um, sometimes it's good to review what we do. And look, it might be small habits like uh, checking that the coffee that we buy has a Rainforest Alliance stamp on it and that it's been sourced uh, ethically and responsibly towards our, our global forests, which is our, our, you know, national heritage, really. And also looking at how do we uh, reduce our impact, our waste, our emissions. And it might be daunting to do so sometimes or not so convenient, but it's necessary. And doing so without judgment to our, others, that's, that's a big one as well. Um, we can be pointing fingers. We got to remember that this is the opportunity to connect, connect to ourselves, connect to each other and con connect to earth and mother nature because that's what we've lost, the connection. And that's why we see all this happening. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.